Welcome to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. There's no question the Apostle Paul was a force to be reckoned with. People inside the church recognize he was a key figure in the life of the early church, and what he said, he said with authority from God. Those outside the church wrongly attach negative labels to him because they don't understand biblical inspiration. We'll be learning from the Apostle Paul through his first letter to the Corinthians. The title of the series is Called to be Saints Together which is what Paul reminds the Corinthian church they were to be. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. With rare exception, during the last several seasons of my ministry, I've been drawn to preaching through books of the Bible. Now, while I certainly believe that topical preaching is a legitimate practice, I think that's legitimate preaching, I do think that for the overall spiritual growth and spiritual health of a church, that going through books of the Bible is the best. Now, that's not to say that a book cannot be interrupted if necessary. It most certainly can. But being in a book is great for all kinds of different reasons. One, we always know what we're going to deal with next. So last week we finished chapter 11. This week we begin with chapter 12. Secondly, it helps the preacher avoid just sticking to what we want. It helps the people avoid just sticking with what we want. We're, in fact, forced to deal with biblical subjects that we might not otherwise tackle. Just a couple of weeks ago, we spent our time dealing with long hair on men and short hair on women. I promise, I promise, if I had but one sermon to preach, that would not be it. But it's in the Bible, so it's important, it's worthwhile, and it is certainly um, something that we ought to talk about. But if I weren't preaching through a book, we would never probably have dealt with that. Granted, sometimes preaching through a book might disappoint. We don't always preach all of the civic holidays. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we don't. It's hard to get through a book if you preach according to the civic holiday schedule. And quite honestly, the main reason it would be hard to preach topical sermons about each civic holiday is that the Bible doesn't address them all. That's True, there's really not a whole lot of biblical ink given to President's Day or Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) So while I might preach about family on Mother's Day or Father's Day, some years I might, some years I might not. I might preach about being a good citizen on July 4th, that weekend. I might also just stick to the biblical book that we're dealing with at the time, realizing that if we do that, then all, all of the pertinent subjects will be dealt with over time. I also like preaching through a book because it really becomes sort of a part of me. I end up thinking a lot about the author, and I think about his times, and I think about his challenges. I think about what he was up against. That happened to me just this past week. I had to have some tests run at St. Luke's, and as I walked in, I came face to face with the rainbow banner that said, Celebrate Pride. And I thought, now even my health care is politicized. And this is St. Luke's. St. Luke's. What do you think the real St. Luke would say about his name being attached to Pride Month? You know who Luke was, right? 
I'm working on having a month-long celebration in America for heterosexuals. I'm really growing tired of all of the celebrations of all of the aberrant stuff in our culture, aren't you? My celebrations are going to be different. Let's celebrate family. Let's, let's celebrate hard work. <laughs> let's celebrate gender as given by God. Let's celebrate sexual relations among a man and a woman married to each other. Now, all the men are going, I, I really want to clap, but I'm not sure if I should or not. <laughs> now, I know this may be the death of me, but I'm even thinking about celebrating. Are you ready? I'm even thinking about celebrating femininity and masculinity. Kids, ask your parents about that. We used to understand what that meant in our culture. So my working title for my month-long celebration, are you ready? Celebrate normal. Huh? What do you think? Celebrate normal for a change. It's a great idea, I think. But as I walked through St. Luke's and was thinking about my good friend St. Paul and the book that he wrote that we're now studying, I remember the opening line from the chapter that we're dealing with this morning. Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. And I thought, I know Paul would want to say that to the higher-ups at St. Luke's pushing the pride banners. I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul would say that. See, the truth is they're uninformed. By definition, they're ignorant. They're ignorant of the truth. If they were informed, they wouldn't have all those rainbow banners celebrating sin lining their hallways. Next thing you know, we're going to have pictures of hotel keys popping up all over the place with banners that read, Celebrate Adultery. Well, Paul wanted the Corinthians to be informed, too. He wanted them to be informed about how they were to function as believers in a crazy, mixed-up, sinful culture. Huh. Maybe the Bible has something to say to us today after all. Not only are we going to come to understand some important things about the Holy Spirit Himself, but we're also going to have the benefit of being reminded to stay in our lane that is to function in our own giftedness in order to benefit the church to the fullest. Now, we won't get to all of this this morning, but at least you'll know what's coming. So we're continuing our study through 1 Corinthians, called to be saints together. This is part 1,477. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1, where the aged apostle writes as follows. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers or brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. Just three main thoughts this morning. First of all, I want you to recognize knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. Knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. We get this from verses 1 through 3 in the text that we just read. Now, the translators use the wording spiritual gifts, which is legitimate, Certainly, as we move through this biblical text, the focus will narrow to discuss particular gifts, that is, these spiritual gifts, but this is really broader than that. What is translated spiritual gifts can also simply be translated spirituality. This would be alluding to the various ways in which we experience spirituality, spiritual reality. So, Paul simply doesn't want them to remain ignorant or uninformed about spirituality or about spiritual things or about giftings that come from the Holy Spirit. He wants them to grasp that which is spiritual reality. He wants them to understand. Now, this is especially poignant when we realize the pagan backgrounds from which most of the Corinthian church has come. Most of them had come from these Greek mystery religions, and this particular, in these particular religions, it's important to note that emotive spiritual experiences were the norm. Very emotive spiritual experiences were the norm. So Paul reminds them that while they were involved, while they used to be involved in these pagan practices, they were led astray to mute idols. They had been moved by some spiritual experiences. These would have been, I believe, and commentators would typically agree as well, these would have been some kind of demonic influences, likely, and they would result in the people finding themselves in sort of a trance-like state, or they were having some kind of ecstatic outburst over and over. So you can imagine worship was somewhat chaotic, and these experiences were seen as normal among the pagans. And in fact, if there wasn't some kind of manifestation of the so-called deity, then the power of that deity was called into question. Now, let me stop and say something important that I think really begs to be said at this point. Here it is. Don't chase an experience. Don't chase an experience. Do you get the connection? It's the pagans. It's the pagans, according to Paul, that were chasing the experiences. Don't do that. If God chooses to move in some way that is out of the ordinary for you, listen, that's his prerogative. I'm, I'm not going to fight against God. I'm not questioning God about all that. But just because you don't hear voices, and just because you don't speak in tongues, just because you don't get goosebumps when you're swinging from the chandeliers, if we had chandeliers, don't think you've missed God, okay? Don't chase an experience. Frankly, it's one of the things that bugs me as a pastor 
from time to time in every church that I've served, people have left. And usually it's not because they've moved and it's not because I've been spewing heresy. I typically don't do that. Just kind of seeing who's paying attention. Storm kept up late last night, right? Usually, usually, not all the time, but usually it's about chasing an experience. The conversation goes like this. Yeah, we're going to go to such and such church. You know, they have more people my age. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know getting older was a sin. Look around. We got a lot of sinners in this place. You know what I'm saying? Or um, we have fog machines, and that, that really helps me experience God better. These days, there's a corporate kind of church that has moved into the Northland. Their pastor is a famous guy, and I suppose it's exciting to sit around the big screen and watch a famous preacher. Now, let me be clear. Just like Paul, I am going to celebrate any time people are coming to Christ. I am. I am going to celebrate that. But the big screen with the big-time preacher is not the ideal. One of the tragedies is that you end up with a bunch of people, oftentimes Baptists, that are now a part of an Episcopalian model of church life, and they don't even know it because they really don't know what that church believes. Let that sink in. Lest you think this is sour grapes on my part, it's not. You guys give me more than enough people to deal with. <laughs> it's me being a pastor. I care about people. And I care about what the Bible says. And let me be really clear, I appreciate good preaching. And I have zero issues with great preachers who pastor large congregations. In fact, I watch Alistair Begg whenever I can. I wish I had that Scottish brogue <laughs> so I could tell you to turn to two Corinthians. He's a, he's a great communicator, man. I sit in front of my computer and I watch and I worship with them sometimes. And when they're singing, sometimes, sometimes I sing along. And when he starts to preach, I open my Bible and I follow along and I take notes. I learn from him. But listen, Alistair Begg, great preacher that he is, he's not my pastor. And Parkside is not my church. Alistair is not going to be driving to Kearney to preach my funeral whenever I die. And nobody is going to send flowers to my wife from Parkside Church whenever I die. When my wife had surgery, there were no flowers from Alistair or Parkside Church. There were an awful lot from First Baptist, though. You know why? Because that's church. I think it's great to watch good preachers, but listen carefully. That's not church. That's not pastoring, in fact. The pastor may be the greatest orator the world has ever known, but he doesn't know his people. You can't know your people from a state or two away. He doesn't know his people because they're not his people. You don't bond with a pastor via the big screen. Once again, unfortunately, and I know how this works, pragmatics rule the day. Well, it works. Listen, guys, it would work if we had the Kansas City Chiefs cheerleaders here on a Sunday morning. We could pack the place out. Pragmatics rule the day. Somebody just said, when are we going to do that one, Pastor? I'm kind of interested in coming. Of... <laughs> Man, I wish I didn't have ADD. I could stick to this. <laughs> Forget what the Bible says about sheep and shepherds. And the importance of the elder's role in shepherding the sheep. And you know what that means? That means he has to rub shoulders with them. He has to be with them. To the point, there are more people there my age, or our pastor is famous, or they have fog machines. That's chasing an experience. Don't, don't do that. 
The church is meant to be organic, not corporate. Don't confuse the two. Since I've opened this can of worms already, let me hasten to say, anytime you're looking for another church, and there are times, by the way, that's legitimate, find out what they believe. Would you just do me that favor? Find out what the church you're going to actually believes. A lot of people treat a church like a boyfriend. They say, I don't really know all he believes, but I really do like him. How do you think that's going to work out? Find out what they believe. And while I'm not saying your pastor has to give everybody his cell number, I do think it makes sense to be able to meet your pastor in person if you so choose at some point during your membership. Now I'm done with that. Till next week. <laughs> so the Corinthians were seeking an experience. When Paul mentions the pagans, he's talking about the Gentiles, and they had been led astray. They thought that trances and supernatural revelations and dreams and visions had to be present in order for their supposed deity to be real. So there were some crazy things happening in the church at Corinth. In fact, it is implied that members, members of the church at Corinth who had previously participated in these bizarre religious practices were now, as part of their worship as supposedly Christians, were mimicking these practices all over again. In some cases, what they referred to as ecstasy was supposed to be the highest expression of religious experience. There would be hypnotic, hypnotic chanting, sometimes drunkenness, and scholars tell us even sexual orgies were part of their worship. And Paul says, don't you be led astray. Remember, he has previously referred to the Corinthian believers back in chapter 3 as people of the flesh or un spiritual. The Corinthians, you'll, you'll recall, had a problem with pride, like they were doing Pride Month long before it became popular. And this led them to sometimes see themselves as super spiritual. You ever known anybody like that? <laughs> and Paul, and I, there's so much I love about Paul, but I got to tell you, I love this. Paul cuts them off at the knees. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. By inference, Paul is saying, even without all the bells and whistles and the fog machines, if they're talking about Jesus, they're doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So now Paul is reminding them that the desire of the Holy Spirit is to do what? To glorify Jesus. And that's the mark of genuine spirituality according to the Apostle Paul. Whatever spirits they have previously encountered, whatever supposed deities they've interacted with, the Holy Spirit is committed to proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Let me say that again for good reason. The Holy Spirit is committed to proclaiming Jesus is Lord the earliest Christian saying, if you will, that bonded the people of God together, Jesus is Lord. Now let me take a moment to highlight something of importance to all of us. Be very careful about following any person or any ministry that ends up making the ministry about itself. You guys ever watch Jesse Duplantis? Don't, if you haven't. I mean, unless you got some popcorn and a couple hours to kill. I saw a few minutes of his video the other day, and this is what he said, and this is a quote. I was going to show it, but I was afraid then you guys would want to go home and watch it. He said, 
you know when they were fighting me about them jets? Obviously, he's a great grammarian. Obviously, we're not all that good at it either, but anyway. <laughs> you know when they were fighting me about them jets? You know, I never owned four jets at one time, but it gave me an idea. I thought, praise the Lord, why not? Delta's got more than four. Americans got more than four. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching. He then went on to say, I've got people throwing money over my fence. Watching the guy, he makes a big deal about himself and, frankly, a big deal about his money. He told, in fact, about going out on the front porch on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. He was going to look at how his wife had decorated the front door. And a guy in a truck came to a screeching halt, walked up to the gate, and threw $5,000 over the fence. And Jesse said, I began to walk around picking up that cash and I was praying, Lord, don't come back now before I spend all this money. Listen, the Spirit isn't concerned about lifting up Jesse. The Spirit is concerned about lifting up Jesus. Do you remember what John the Baptist, obviously a famous preacher in his own right, said? He said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. Secondly, God is the one that produces gifts, service, and activities within the life of the believer. Look with me now, please, at verse 4 and following. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. God is the one that produces gifts, service, and activities within the life of the believer. There are a variety of gifts, but one Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but one God. There are varieties of activities, but please note this, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It's God who does the empowering. Paul has been talking about people saying Jesus is Lord and how it's only through the Spirit that really occurs. So how does the Spirit highlight the truth that Jesus is Lord? He enables the people of God to always point to Jesus as Lord. The gifts should point people to Jesus as Lord. The services of Christian people should point people to Jesus as Lord. The activities of a believer ought always to point people to Jesus. That is, in fact, the key role of the Holy Spirit, drawing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. So God is the one. God is the one producing these gifts, services, and activities. It is literally all of God. This is again why it's so important to see leadership in the church for what it is. Listen, this is not my church. It's not. It's the church God allows me to pastor and be a part of, but it's His church. It's not your church either. It's His church. I tell students at the seminary all the time, I'm in my 17th year as the interim pastor here. Because the truth is, we're all just passing through, right? And just like every other gospel preacher on the planet who is worth his salt, I have to live with the realization always before me that whatever good is happening here is due to God's favor, not my giftedness. Certainly God uses his people, and I'm so grateful that he does. He uses his people to make a difference in the world. So please understand that each of you really do matter, 
You really do matter to the body of Christ. You really do make a difference in the world. But in the grand scheme of things, this enterprise, this body, if you will, it belongs to God. It's not mine, and it's not yours. I remind myself of this often. That probably tells you a lot about what I have to deal with. I have a collage of pastor's portraits that Marsha Farmer of our church put together It's hanging in my study, and in fact, as I've told you before, it's among the last things that I see every Sunday morning on my way out of my study to make my way in here for worship and to preach. The last picture, for now, in the bottom right-hand corner, is me. A whole lot younger, me. The first picture in the top left is a pastor by the name of Reverend James Hughes from 1868, 1868. Pastor Hughes was pastoring here about a hundred years before I was born. (laughs) That's humbling. And here's the thing, someday there's going to be another man's picture hanging in the bottom right. That's humbling too. Do you get it? So Paul mentions a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. The word translated varieties can mean either diversity or assignment. Remember, Paul urged Timothy to rekindle the gift of God that was within him. Simon Peter urged those who read his letter to employ their gifts for one another. So there are a variety of gifts. These gifts are given by God as love gifts. And certainly there is great joy, great joy in receiving the gift. There's great joy and satisfaction in having the gift. But the emphasis is on sharing the gift for the sake of others. That's what it's all about. There are varieties of service. There are many ways Christians can serve others. It's likely people saw the church in that day as an arena for demonstrating their own talents, kind of like a stage on which to perform. And Paul is going to make it clear that's not it. Rather, we're called to serve one another, not perform for one another. There are varieties of working. This is a picture of the empowerment of God. God's energy is at work within believers, and that is spilling out into the communities. The Spirit's power, please understand this, the Spirit's power within us is not a theory. This is not theoretical stuff that we're dealing with. The Holy Spirit, in fact, produces results which are visible. Lives are changed. Marriages are healed. Relationships are put back together. People in bondage to various sins are delivered. This is not theoretical, brothers and sisters. This is actual. This isn't virtual reality. This is real. Samuel Chadwick wrote of this transformation this way. He said, every part of my being wakened up. I did not get a new set of brains, but I got a new mentality. I did not get a new faculty of speech, but I got a new effectiveness of speech. I did not get a new dictionary, but a new Bible. Immediately, I was a new creature with the same basis of natural qualities, energized, quickened, reinforced into bigger vitality and effectiveness that nobody would ever have dreamed possible. This is what happens to those upon whom the Spirit comes. Knowledge of Christian spirituality is important. God is the one that produces gifts. 
service and activities within the life of the believer. Thirdly and finally, spiritual gifts are for the common good of the people of God. Spiritual gifts are for the common good of the people of God. Now look with me at verse 7. To each is given the, the manifestation of the Spirit, say this with me, for the common good. Say it again, for the common good. I'm going to be brief at this point, but I feel like this needs to be a separate point because it needs to be emphasized. Spiritual gifts are for the common good of the people of God. Paul, again, stresses the importance of community. Community, the community of faith, not the whims of an individual. The big deal is not that God gave you whatever gift you have. The big deal is that you are to share whatever gift God has given you. I would say it this way, and we have a hard time with this, but don't spiritualize the spirit. Don't spiritualize the spirit. What he does in the life of the believer produces visible, knowable, tangible results. Now, of course, we know there are times that we might sense, we might feel the presence of the Spirit of God, and that's a wonderful experience. Don't chase that. It's a wonderful experience. But more than offering a feeling, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in the life of a Christian. You and I are supposed to be changing the process of sanctification becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So whatever spiritual gift you happen to have, God didn't just give them to you to enjoy. They're given that they might, in fact, be shared. And in the sharing, they impact the lives of a lot of other people. These spiritual gifts about which we're speaking, they are really gifts that are supposed to keep on giving. Now, I don't want you to think in closing at this point that we're not going to deal with the actual gifts we are but we're going to talk about them and give them adequate time probably next week. But I want to leave you with a thought related to the last point for today, the idea that spiritual gifts are for the common good of the people of God. This morning as you entered these buildings, even as you came into the parking lot, you likely noticed there's some work going on around the buildings and in the parking lot. Probably you pulled up and you saw that tape and you said, probably a crime scene. I wonder what the pastor did. <laughs> that project is due to some people in our church utilizing their gifts to help the people of God. Further, as you came in, I trust you came in with a great attitude. Rather than thinking, I can't believe I don't get to get to my normal parking place the same way I've done it for the last X number of years, you came in saying, thank you, Jesus, that I get to worship today and that a tornado didn't drop out of the sky like it very easily could have and wipe out a bunch of my brothers and sisters. Right? I've said for years, decades in fact now, it takes unselfish people to be a part of a growing church. Unselfish people to be a part of a growing church. At some level, it's selflessness that allows us to function in our area of giftedness and to trust the leaders in the church to do the same. Trust the leaders in the church to do the same. Trust the leaders in the church to do the same. So 
I don't know how thick the striping is on the parking lot side, you know, the, where we park. I don't, I didn't, I didn't measure that. In fact, when the guys start talking about all the stuff that's going on, can I just be honest with you? My eyes glaze over. I don't speak construction ease. But you know what? I don't have to. Because there are men and women that utilize their gifts, so I don't have to be concerned about that. And you don't either. I don't have to be concerned about what colors are going to be utilized in the renovation of our educational building. There are some ladies. There are some ladies. There are some ladies, not men. <laughs> ladies who are going to use their giftedness to accomplish that. And I trust that God has put them in the local church to use their gifts for the common good of the people of God. Isn't it neat how that works? And frankly, it ought to make all of us sleep a little better at night. We don't have to concern ourselves with every single facet of every single thing. God puts people in the right place to take care of things. It's selflessness that God uses to advance the kingdom of God. Every young student knows that uh, they know of Isaac Newton's famed encounter with the falling apple. You guys remember that from school? Newton discovered and introduced laws of gravity back in the 1600s, and that revolutionized astronomical studies. But few know, very few people know, that if it weren't for Edmund Halley, the world might have never learned from Isaac Newton. Halley was the one who challenged Newton to think through his original notions. Halley was the one who corrected Newton's mathematical errors and prepared geometrical figures to support his discoveries. Halley was the one who coaxed Newton to write his great work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Halley was the one that edited and supervised the publication and even financed the first printing, even though Newton had more money than Halley did. Historians refer to this as one of the most selfless examples in the annals of science. Newton began almost immediately to reap the rewards of his growing prominence. But Halley received very little credit. Halley did use the principles to predict the orbit and return of a comet that would later bear his name, but it was only after his death that he received any real acclaim. Halley remained a devoted scientist who didn't care who received the credit as long as the cause was being advanced. How beautiful it is when we're aware of those who do the same for the advancement of the gospel, utilizing Spiritual giftedness for the common good, properly done, is a selfless act. John the Baptist was content to point others toward Jesus and say, he must increase and I must decrease. I wonder who here today might be willing to pray simply to uphold the world of a Christian leader or a Christian ministry. Who among us today would be content to say, I want to do all I can, pray as much as I can, give all that I can for the cause, and I don't care who gets the credit. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. 
If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.